The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And I don't see any kiddos. I think they were all at the Christmas pageant at the last service. So we'll move to our sermon. Let's see. You can see how many rows I can move back. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? That is the key question in our readings today. Are you the one, or shall we wait? It's a question that is posed from John the Baptist to Jesus, and there is a long, long story behind it. John the Baptist and Jesus first met when they were still in their mother's wombs, when Elizabeth came to visit Mary, and John in Elizabeth's belly leaped in Mary's presence. As they grew up, John became a prophet, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. And so their story goes all the way back to the beginning. It's funny, uh, in my sermon notes, for as long as I can remember all the way back to divinity school, when I'm writing about John the Baptist and Jesus, I always write JB and JC in my notes, kind of like my little nicknames for John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Um, And I realized this week as I was making my sermon notes, I was doing the very same thing, and it kind of realized that they're sort of like my nicknames for them. Um, And it sort of suggests a kind of a less formal type of relationship. There's a familiarity and affection um, that I have for them, they have for me, and I imagine that's what they had for each other. They were relatives and friends and compatriots in the gospel. And so they grow and become adults, and Jesus comes out to be baptized by John in the River Jordan. And John continues to call people to repentance, and as Lindsay noted last week, calling people a brood of vipers and such, and challenging the powers that be, which does not make one popular with the said powers. And so when we find them today, Jesus has been out teaching and healing and performing miracles while John is in prison. And just a few chapters from now, John will be executed. And so he's in prison. He doesn't have long. He knows that prophets don't have long life expectancies. 
And he sends word and asks Jesus, who's been teaching and healing, he says, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And with this question, I think, John is asking, was it worth it? Did it all mean something? Did it change anything? Please tell me this all wasn't in vain. Are you the one who's going to save the world? And Jesus, of course, does not give a direct answer. Jesus never gives a direct answer. He says, go and tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And in this exchange, Jesus and John are speaking in a kind of code. Um, in the same way my kids quote The Office or the Goldbergs back to one another, or I might quote Star Wars or others, Harry Potter, or more learned people, poems, and great literature, John and Jesus here are trading the language of the Bible. Now, it may sound horribly boring to quote the Bible back and forth as a form of conversation, though it still happens in some regions and denominations. But in John and Jesus' time, the Hebrew Scriptures would have been infused into everything. They grew up with it. It was their common language. And helpfully today, our first reading from Isaiah tells us exactly what Jesus is talking about. Isaiah anticipates a time of deliverance and salvation when the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the grass, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Isaiah is painting a picture here of the conditions for deliverance, for the long-awaited Messiah. In short, John and Jesus would have known that when you see these kinds of things start to happen, you have to pay attention because salvation is near. And so Jesus would have known just what John was asking, are you the Messiah? And John would have known exactly what Jesus meant, yes, I am. And I had this kind of fantasy about this reading this morning, kind of a mission impossible dream of this moment, where John and Jesus are trading secret messages from the Bible so that the Roman jailers who are surrounding John would not know what they're talking about. John is like sneaking out a message to Jesus to say, are you the one? And Jesus is sneaking a message back in that John's jailers wouldn't understand to say, yes, this is the time. My own thought to keep the Bible somehow kind of cool. Um, and this kind of exchange, this kind of thing is really a specialty of Matthew, um, the gospel that we'll be spending more time with in this coming year. Matthew is at pains to make sure that the reader of his gospels know that everything is rooted back into the Hebrew scriptures, just like this moment. At the beginning of his gospel, Matthew recounts the 42 generations between Abraham and Jesus. 14 times he says, all this took place to fulfill and in just the first two chapters, as he recounts the Christmas story, he quotes the books of Isaiah, Micah, 2 Samuel, Hosea, and Jeremiah. It doesn't always make for easy reading, but it serves an important point to show that this is all the fulfillment of what has been foretold, part of God's plan for the deliverance of humankind. And this is what John and Jesus and our readings are telling us. When beautiful, improbable, unexplainable, and unexpected things start to happen, you better pay attention because your deliverance is near. 
And this brings us to the theme of this third Sunday of Advent, joy. Joy is so totally appropriate to be thinking about on which on the day on which we have our Sunday school Christmas pageant, which we had at 9 o'clock, was like an insane holy chaos. It was so beautiful and fun and precious. It doesn't get more joyful than seeing kids step into the Christmas story. Or later today, as we gather together, all ages, singing Christmas carols and decorating the church for the hanging of the greens. Joy. Joy is a sign of God's presence and goodness and grace. Joy is like happiness that runs deeper, that fills us from head to toe, that sneaks up on us, that connects us with God. On my sabbatical this summer, uh, one of the things I noticed while I was gone was that before I had left, I had not been making room for things that bring me joy in life. And on that trip, my family and I found joy in things that we would have neverly, never normally had the time or the opportunity or the resources to experience. We rejoiced in being spontaneous in small things that we had the time to notice and in each other. And if I could tell you one story of joy from this trip, um, because we had the gift of the time and the gift of the grant to do it, we were traveling in Italy, and we were in an area called Cinque Terre, which is five villages that are built into the cliffs on the west coast of Italy. And so we were kind of exploring the different towns, and we were in one of the towns, and they're really, really small. And so uh, we have four kids, and we were in the town, and we had seen it, and we were like, what do we do now? And because um, it's a haul to get back to the town we were just in. So we saw there were signs and there were little boat tours that you could do, and it would not be normally something that we would have taken the time or paid the money to do, but we had the grant, and so we said, we could do that. We, we could do this thing, so sign us up. So we signed up for this boat ride. They said, come back in an hour, and we'll be ready to go. And so in that hour, we had to figure out a way to change into our bathing suits, which we had with us, and there are no, were no public bathrooms. So we had to go to a restaurant because only patrons could use the bathroom. We had to order some food. And while we ordered, waited for, and ate the food, all six of us went in one by one to a bathroom that was half the size of a closet to change into our bathing suits so we'd be ready for this boat trip. And so we get back to the harbor an hour later. We're all changed. We're ready to go. And it's just a little boat that just holds six of us and the driver. And he took us out along the coast, and the water was like so crystal blue, and you could see down to the bottom, and he was taking us around to show us the, the towns, and it's really the best way to see them. And he said, would you like to swim? And so we said, yeah, we'd love to swim. So he um, anchored off, uh, off the coast, and my kids just started jumping off the boat, <laughs> one after the other, again and again and again and again and again. And to have done this thing we would have never normally have done, and to see the joy that it brought my kids in that moment was just like so amazing. We just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And coming back from sabbatical, I promised myself that I would try to make more room in my life and our lives for joy. Because joy is not just something nice that happens to us. Our scriptures tell us that joy is an essential part of our being. Joy is an essential part of our spiritual life with God, that we have to make room for joy. Joy can come to us in many ways, and it's important to pay attention to those moments. You can find incredible joy in your work, in your family, in your relationships, in worship. Um, joy can even come from putting your feet up with your Christmas slippers on at the end of a long day. 
laughing and smiling so much that your cheeks hurt. But joy can come up in surprising ways as well. Um, Earlier this fall, Jenny and I had to travel to Ottawa, her hometown, uh, for a funeral for our friend Chris's mom. Um, She was a longtime family friend. Jenny and Chris grew up together in the same little development, and his mom had died kind of unexpectedly. And they asked me to do the service. So we flew up on Friday. We did the service, came back Saturday. Um, And so Jenny had grown up with Chris and known him and his mom her whole life. And they'd forged these relationships over many, many years. And it wasn't always easy. But in those moments when we were sitting in the funeral home before the service was to start in the chapel, we were laughing. And when Chris shared about his mom, I was joyful. I was sad, but I was joyful that these relationships that had been forged over decades had sustained him and shaped him and shaped all of us together so that we could be there for each other in that moment. I found joy in our long shared history and in our love and care for one another, even as we face down death. In the Bible, joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of their happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. St. Paul calls us to rejoice in all things, not to rejoice for all things, but to rejoice in all things. Joy is not determined by our struggles, but by our future destiny. We choose joy as we anticipate God's future. And so Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And it reminds me of one of my favorite Christmas songs, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Uh, My favorite version is the Judy Garland version from Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, And, you know, it goes, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year all our troubles will be miles away. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, Faithful friends who are dear to us will gather near to us once more. Someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. I love Christmas songs that have just a twinge of, melan- a twinge of melancholy <laughs> because it feels more like real life. We anticipate and we celebrate our Christmas now in the midst of our troubles, and we look forward to even happier Christmases to come. Even when life is harder and sadder than we might wish it to be, there is still joy for us in God. As the Benedictine monk David Stendhal Rass describes it, joy is the kind of happiness that doesn't depend on what happens. And so to come back to the imagery of Isaiah, even though our desert may not yet be in full bloom, the paths may not yet be made straight, though we may see and hear only in part, and in the season of Advent, we longingly wait for the coming of our Savior, we still find hope in the promise and joy in our anticipation. Because in this season, God says again from Isaiah, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to drink, give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I have formed for myself so that they may declare my praise. God is always about to do a new thing and not just at Christmas. So pay attention for salvation is near. Hope is near. Peace is near. Joy is near and love is coming. Amen.